Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hey, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So, on this episode, I am interviewing James Somaru. James is the founder of SOMX, which is a healthcare agency. He is also the host of the Health Tech Podcast, a writer for Forbes, and started his career as a doctor. We talked about imposter syndrome and how James is creating a business that is truly making him happy. And we also talk about the importance of PR, and that comes up because of the services that James provides. So without further ado, enjoy. I think Wherever you are in your business journey or your leadership journey, you are going to be inspired and there are a lot of lessons that you can take from this. And the lesson I have taken and the advice I've taken is around the labels that I give myself. So I would love to know what you think and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, James. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you for making the time. I know you're busy. So for my audience that may not know who you are, you've got a huge audience, huge platform. Could you share with our listeners who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is James. I'm actually an anaesthetics and intensive care doctor by background. So I practice clinically for five years. I did loads of different things in kind of leadership and policy after that. So I worked at Health Education England. I worked at NHS England as well. Uh, Had a bit of a commercial role at the BMJ. I then got into accelerators. So I ran something called the digitalhealth.london accelerator, which is run by the AHSNs in London. Uh, So I started off there as something called a navigator. So it's like helping technology startups and and things like that. Uh, And then ran the program for a year with someone called Hannah. Uh, I then started my own accelerator called HS, which became HS Ventures, which was like a venture builder. So we built deep technology companies out of young, exciting entrepreneurs and did that for a couple of years and partnered with charities and did some cool stuff. So I've always been in kind of innovation and technology and that side of things. And then at the same time, I started writing for Forbes on health tech. I started the podcast, which is now listened to around the world. Very fortunate. And then because of all that kind of comms PR and things like that, started helping out a couple of companies with comms and PR. So helping them with press releases because I get loads through Forbes and helping them start their own podcasts. And that has essentially turned into its own company called Somex, which basically we do PR, we do content for startups. So basically an all-encompassing solution to basically hand the reins of everything comms to us, including social media and all the rest of it. And yeah, that we're launching that properly this time next month. So that sounds all very like easy breezy. You just hop from one thing to another and then you landed on your feet. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely just not the case, is it? It's it's funny. I saw on Twitter, I don't know if you know the Big Picture Medicine podcast, the guy called Mustafa. So he uh, he posted a CV of failures on Twitter. And he was just very open and just said, look, I didn't get into medicine first time. I didn't do this first time. And it's funny, like I kind of reflected on the back of that. And it's so interesting just how those kind of failures end up shaping you, end up shaping your career. And it's the same for me as it will be for anybody else. You know, like it was through 
failing at my anesthetic exams that I thought, is this actually right for me? Am I doing the right thing? And then that sets me on a path of thinking differently. I was always somebody who I guess when I was in the day job and, and working on the front line, I always found joy from fixing the system, perhaps more so than fixing patients. And so it was always one of those things that I was doing little projects and I started to shadow people in finance. And that was very weird at the time. Nobody was really doing that. And, but I was like super energized by it. And it was, it was just, it seemed to me that I was perhaps on the wrong path, I suppose, a clinical medic where they, you know, my friends and colleagues were getting so much joy from being, from being doctors and, and other clinicians. And I just wasn't getting that. And so it was, it was through that, I suppose, initially that made me think, Hmm, am I doing the right thing? And then, yeah, as you say, you know, when you, when you catastrophically fail your anesthetic exams, like not even slightly, it was just, you know, really bad. It was just like, okay, I, I definitely wasn't that motivated here to revise for that and, and learn that stuff. So, so perhaps the prize at the end of it wasn't really worth it for me subconsciously but yeah that that was one of many and and deviations and trying things and and just kind of being curious to 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 see what what about policy let's try that what about this what about that and and I suppose just leaning into that curiosity and you know not beating myself up that I that I didn't find the right path yet arguably still haven't (laughs) and I suppose just being uh being kind to myself that you know maybe maybe happiness is a bit of a moving target and I just need to keep chopping and changing and maybe that is the thing who knows but yeah a mix of stuff I suppose so what what is making you happy right now it's a really good question I'd say at the moment it's building something and I don't want to say building a business necessarily I just want to say building something and because I think you know the the pressure to be an entrepreneur at the moment i think is quite great in 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 the spaces that i move in anyway it seems very cool to be an entrepreneur and and you know one of those things that's on the radar of a lot of people and i th- i think perhaps becoming a bit of a pressure that you've got to have a side hustle you've got to have this you've got to have that but for me at the moment i do think in what i'm building with somex it's really exciting i'm enjoying building a team i'm enjoying building out our kind of service and products and things like that, the, the way that we help technology companies, we're changing that. And it allows, it's allowing me the freedom to, I suppose, be innovative, try new things. And I suppose this is a bit of a theme, right? I, I, I enjoy trying new stuff and seeing what, what it's like. And uh, I think that's what I'm being granted the freedom to do at the moment. And I suppose that's what's making me happy. What lessons have you learned? So you've said you've already founded a business and then did you exit that? <laughs> not quite, not okay. quite. So with HS Accelerator, so after digital.london, uh, I met a guy called Alex and we, in fact, you've had him on your podcast, Alex. Uh, yeah. Okay. We started an accelerator together and it was, it was cool. It was fun. It did well. It did everything that we wanted it to do. Mm. We hit loads of cool metrics and we were, we were raising a VC fund and that was the route that we were going to go down. And, it was just one of those things that I just think it was a mixture of market forces and the rest of it. But at the end of the day, I think we just fell out of love with the idea. And so it certainly wasn't a ca- the case that, you know, we exited in this like blaze of glory and, <laughs> and you know, like never looked back. And it was just so great. You know, it, was, it wasn't that at all. I think being really honest, raising a fund is tough. It takes it out of you is really, really hard. And on that journey, I think it becomes, I mentioned this once before, I think with my anesthetic exams, if the prize at the end is something that you really want, I think you're willing to do so much hardship to get there because you really want the prize at the end. I think it just became the case for me particularly that the prize at the end just wasn't worth it for me. Now, that's not to say it wouldn't have been possible and the rest of it, I'm sure it would have been if we kept going and, you know, you can blame things like COVID-19 and LPs pulling out at that point and the rest of it. You can, you can lean into that blame if you want, but at the end of the day, I think if we if if we really would have wanted it, we, we would have gone through with it and would have made it happen. I think we just fell out of love with the idea and I think we were both destined for other things, as you will have heard on your on, yeah. on the episodes did, right? You know, it's that, I think. It's interesting when you say prize. What is the prize at the end? I don't know what my prize. I don't know what my end is. I'm just doing it. I haven't really thought. I haven't really thought of it like that. 
Yeah, and I suppose now I might agree with you that I'm not I'm not sure what the end is because I think when you get to a point of enjoying that journey bit, and I know it's a cliche, mm-hmm. but then you're less interested, like I suppose, what's this hardship that I'm going through for? And I think that was it for me with my anaesthetic exams and and raising a fight. Like it just got to the point where like this is really tough, this is really hard. If I'm successful and I get through this, am I gonna want that thing at the end? am I then going to enjoy the journey? And I think for for both of those, it wasn't the case. And I think now I suppose the difference for me is that I perhaps am enjoying that journey a, a lot more, which is why I'm less focused on what's this all for? Like, <laughs> So what lessons have you learned that are influencing how you do business this time? I think setting myself up to really enjoy my days and lean into the things I'm really good at and that I enjoy, I suppose, rather than trying to learn the things I'm not good at and and build myself up on that stuff. I think I'm at a point where I can think about putting a team together that can support me on the things I'm not good at so that I can do the things I am good at. One thing that I'm doing at the moment as I build this team out as I'm asking in interviews, what do you enjoy? And it's interesting because the first answer people tend to give is the answer that they think I want to hear. But then I'll really drill deep into like, what what do you really, really, really enjoy? And then eventually someone will say, if I could spend all day, every day getting press coverage, that'd be great. I never want to speak to client. I never want to do this. I never want to do social media. I never want to do this. I never want to do this. I just want to sit all day and every day and just get press coverage and speak to journalists. I'm like, right, perfect. That is the answer I want because then I can surround myself with a team that are just thoroughly enjoying their every day. And I think that's, that's really where I want to be is just, you know, in a, and I don't care how big the team is. I don't care how big the company get. Like, that's not really it. It's almost like, I just want to wake up every day and, and be enjoying it. And I think that's that's one of the things that I've learned definitely is that how do I optimize for that, which is an interesting one. So using your own question, what is that thing that you really, really enjoy? What's the thing that you would, in an ideal world, you do only do that all day, every day? Nothing. Play play PlayStation. No, I'm joking. Um, it's... <laughs> it's um, it, it is a really good question in part. I suppose it is variety, certainly in part. I really enjoy this type of thing. I enjoy communicating. I enjoy talking. I enjoy podcasting. I enjoy speaking to people, whether that's one-on-one, whether that's crowds. I enjoy that side of thing. I've learned that, interestingly, I don't actually like writing. It's funny. Like, I tend to – yeah, I tend to – I, I said this on, on 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 the big picture medicine podcast actually. I think it was the or a different one. I audit my to do list every so often, and I look at what's been at the bottom of the to do list that I just haven't done, and what flew off the top when it didn't really need to fly off the top. And I and I I'm like, oh, that those are the bits I actually really enjoy. So booking podcasts and recording pod and doing them and that kind of thing flies off the top of my list because I love it. Clearly, evidence based. I love it. <laughs> But when it came to like writing Forbes articles and writing copy for websites and writing long form, that would always stick at the bottom of my to-do list. And so I learned that, hold on a minute, I don't actually like writing that much, even though part of my narrative is like, oh, I'm, I write for, I really like writing, whereas actually like I clearly don't. So yeah, for me, I suppose it's speaking to people and, and, and that side of things. I actually, I quite like meetings. I don't like the fact they take so long often, but I quite like meeting with people and building connection and getting things done with another person. I really like that. I'd rather that than have lots of written desk work to do and things like that. So I do quite a lot of working meetings now and and kind of work shopping with people and, and stuff like that. So that's that's something that I've lent into as kind of a way of working. So, but it's a, but as I say, it's a, it's a mo- it's a moving target. I think it's it's really important for me. I've learned to to keep auditing that to do list and keep figuring out what are the bits that I do enjoy, what are the bits that are working for me, and not getting too hung up on things like perceptions and uh, and you know what what do we want this company to be se- seeming like? What do we want this to look like? And I'm I'm less interested in that now than perhaps I once was. It's more kind of what's working for us and and the team and. 
and stuff like that. I think a lot of businesses and a lot of people fall into that trap in um, indirect, like accidentally worrying about how they're seen. And it's interesting. And I'll be honest, my perception, you know, like my perception of you and your podcast and your business, like it's, it's polished, you know, like it looks slick. And when you said you'd come onto my podcast, I was like, why, why would he do <laughs> like, why would he do that? But I suppose you can't, con- but the thing is you can't control how people perceive you or can you, you're in PR, you're in content. You do have control over that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is certainly what you present to the world can be very different to your experience of it. Certainly. I think in the modern world though, authenticity is valued so highly that it is not in your interests to present something that isn't actually that real. I think if you're going to build connection with people, you have to be authentic. You have to try and and tell people what's good and what's bad. Unless you do that, it, it, people aren't going to value that voice. Um, I think that is important. But on but on the perception point, it is an interesting one, and it's a trap that I've been in since I qualified as a doctor. If I'm being really honest, because qualifying as a doctor is it's a proud moment and it takes over a lot. Well, it took, I don't want to generalize everybody for me. I took so much pride in that being part of my identity that when it started to go a bit wrong, not maybe that's the wrong phrase, but when there was that disconnect between, do I actually want to be one versus hold on, this is my entire professional and personal identity here. That was really uncomfortable for me. And I suppose that I was so used to being perceived as that by by myself, by my family, by my friends, by my colleagues, and it was like, well, if I don't do this, what am I? Who who am I? What do I what do I do? It's funny. I put a tongue in cheek uh, LinkedIn post out the other day, just yep, announcing got, that. announcing my rebrand as a person yeah. to like the health tech guy and the podcast guy. Yeah, and it was kind of tongue in cheek, but it was also kind. It was interesting for me to for, for me to do that because it was that reflection of that identity that I've now kind of found again, which was kind of nice and and kind of made me feel a bit safe that like, okay, I've got personal identity again in like the health tech guy, or the podcast guy, um, whether that's how others perceive me or not, who knows? I, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, there, there was a bit of wilderness there. I'm not going to lie. And I think that is a challenge for people as they transition from medicine to something else, particularly about identity because it can claim so much of you. But yeah, that was yeah, it was it was tough in that wilderness. I'll be honest. Yeah, I feel like I, I say it was tongue in cheek, but I feel like I found my spot again. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it sounds it looks like a nice spot to be in. It's cool. It's it's fun. I, I'm certainly I'm certainly enjoying it. I I really I really like the podcast. Uh, I really like speaking to a couple of people a week, and. I like learning. I've learned this about myself that I'm always happiest when I'm learning something, whether that's a skill, a sport, uh, uh, whatever it is. I, there has to be some element of my life that I'm that I'm learning something. And I think that with the podcast for me, especially now that you know Somex being where it is and what we're planning to do with it and things, I notice how it's changing my questioning to entrepreneurs, and it feels like. In part, the podcast feels like therapy, particularly yeah. in lockdown. Like, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? That you get to you get to speak to these people that have achieved all these amazing things, and you're like, wow, if I could just be like you, and like you get to just ask them whatever you want. It's great. Yeah. And I think my podcast have certainly lent far more into asking people about entrepreneurship and asking them, you know, questions like, do you think entrepreneurs are born or made? And because I don't feel like a born one, certainly, I feel like I've had to learn pretty much everything, yeah. and I feel you know, I find solace in the fact that other people also agree and, mm. and things like that. And, and yeah, it's, it, it's nice. I, I'm in, I'm enjoying where I'm at right now, but I, I cannot stress enough. It is a moving target. There's always, there's always overhead too. I think this is the other thing, you know, me and my friends actually talk about this in our WhatsApp groups that there's a lot of do what you love out there. And I think I, I'm unsure whether that is a realistic target especially when you consider absolutely everybody. I think you can always aim to do things that you love, fair enough, but 100% of the time, all the time, I think there's always going to be overhead and there's always going to be you know, a tax to pay for doing the thing that you love. Um, I suppose you could probably call it, I even watched a video by Jeff Bezos earlier today who was saying like, look, if you get to a point where you enjoy 50% of it, then you're doing pretty well. And 
I think that's nice. It kind of takes the pressure off and makes you, again, I think there's a lot of, you know, over hustle narratives, over do what you love narratives. And I, I think anything that kind of takes the pressure off and it's like, actually you're doing okay. Uh, that, yeah. that always gives me a bit of comfort. I think if you can do what you like, I think I do what I like. No, I, and I do love it, but do I love every single day? No. Do I love it when I get that brown envelope through the letterbox? Like, no, I don't. I think, oh, for, and then I do feel like, well, I'm doing something right if I've got to pay a little bit of tax. So a lot of people say to me, how do you get into the podcast? Is it worth it? What about downloads? What about figures and all of that stuff? How has having the podcast helped your business's bottom line? Really good question. I guess I'll start by saying nobody listened to my podcast for 17 weeks. Okay. Uh, so, so it did absolutely nothing originally okay. on paper. What I would say is the value of the podcast, and this is what we say as Somex to clients that have podcasts, is you set it up so that you win when nobody is listening. Because if you just have a conversation with a potential customer, a potential partner, somebody that you like, know, respect, or indeed someone that you just want to learn something from, then you have not wasted your 20, 30, 40, 60 minutes with them. So you set the podcast up so that you win when nobody's listening. So I think the first way that the podcast has helped me is just having 180 conversations with entrepreneurs, leaders, technologists, academics that do something in health tech that I understand a bit of what they do. That contributes to my overall knowledge of the space. It builds my communication skills. I believe that I'm a better orator <laughs> since doing the podcast. I'm certainly more comfortable in speaking environments and things like that. I've had, and, and I guess you'll know this, it's really unpleasant listening back to your own podcast, particularly at the start <laughs> to figure out what your audible, uh, you know, clicks and things, or, you know, ticks, that's the right word. What, you know, ticks and things are. I had a few, I used to, I used to, I used to say mm on the podcast quite a lot. And it just sounded like, a, just like some sort of cow mooing in the background. And I listened to one episode. I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this is live. This is so embarrassing. Like after every sentence like mm, mm, mm. I was like do I do this in person have I been doing this at parties my whole life like how has nobody told me this this is outrageous um so, <laughs> so there was that there was certainly correcting a lot of that stuff which is best but in answer to your question specifically how does it improve the bottom line when it comes to having now an agency and I suppose that word can be used pejoratively it's not a, not a not many people respect agencies, but agency. when you've got You're doing something different, but I know, right? It's so like, yeah, of course you are. Yeah, okay. When you've when you've got a service that helps people with communicating, and you give them an offer to come on the podcast, nine times out of ten, a guest will turn around and say, "What is? What do you do again? Like, what does what what is that thing that you do?" How can we help? And that comes from just having a really good conversation with them and showing your knowledge of the space. And that is secondary. The only, the only reason I'm there is to have a good conversation with them because that's the bit I enjoy. That's that's the bit I like. If indeed they turn around at the end of the conversation and they just say, hmm, have you got a deck you could send me? And we've had clients come through that, being frank. That's, yeah. That is literally how it's helped the bottom line. So you can attribute 30% of the top line revenue to people coming in through the podcast. So that is literally it. So I don't monetize through sponsorship. I don't monetize through Patreon or anything like that. I don't monetize through any other means at the moment. The podcast is completely free to come on as a guest. It's completely free to listen to on every platform. It is my therapy. It's glad I'm glad that I get to have these conversations with people. I'm people ask to be on the podcast now. Uh, so it's so it's inbound, like it's great, like it's great. The the, ben the benefits are, are are there for me, right? I don't feel like I need to monetize it, especially right now. But yeah, in answer to your question directly, yeah, top line revenue, bottom line profit is straight down to people coming in as guests that turn into clients. And you produce how many how many shows do you produce a week? Two, because we both appeared in Gandhi's top podcast we did top yours podcast. kicked my ass this podcast completely kicked my ass <laughs> yes. um how do you do so actually one thing i we just i quickly asked you before we started is that i always like to listen to the host because i think 
Yeah, I, I, and I think that you don't do many solo podcasts, but you say you like talking. But why? <laughs> and I think you like talking to people versus the microphone. But why? Why don't uh, share? Why you don't do solo episodes? It's a it's a really good question, and I suppose in the in the reflection of this, the first thing that pops into my mind is imposter syndrome, because in a way, let me phrase this properly. So yeah, so in a way, I speak. It's called the Health Tech Podcast, right? Now, I speak to entrepreneurs on that that have raised loads of money, not that raising money is the metric to go for, but have built businesses and made impact through having an idea about a certain technology, bringing it to market, and all those different things. I've not actually done that. So I've, I've not actually had an idea for a technology and built a company and taking it to market and all these different things. I talk to the people that have done that. And so their insights are the ones that people want that listen to my podcast. But I think, for, I suppose for me, and I have done them, right? I've talked about hiring. I've talked about getting hired. I've talked about my view, I suppose, running an accelerator. I've spoken about my view with my Forbes hat on and said, like, if you're going to write something for a journalist, this is probably how you want to do it. This is probably how you want to get in touch. So I'm super comfortable talking on like areas of my expertise, but I think, yeah, I, I just have a bit of, I have a bit of imposter syndrome on my own podcast, like talking on my own. If that's that sounds really weird, but like, it's funny, like, I, cause I, I guess in my mind, people are there to hear the insights of the people that I bring on. And I kind of think, why would they want to hear an insight from me? Like I've not, I've not built one of those businesses, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? You might want to ask your listeners. It's true. I, sh- I, I could and I should actually. Um, if any are listening to this too, do get in touch and let me know. Put, if you want me to do LinkedIn. any of those episodes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, well, it's, I suppose it's my personal preference. I always want to know about the host. I'll maybe, I'll maybe do one more. I'll, may, I'll maybe do one. I'll try one. How about that? I'll try one. I'll try one. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> so I suppose in the same kind of kind of conversation as that is what do you think people mistake about you good question I, I you know what I don't know and I think that's maybe because I don't actually get a great deal of feedback on that and I don't mean that in a pejorative or negative way like I just mean like I maybe it's that that I have all that I have a lot of answers or that I am like I'm actually the health tech guy. What I was going to say, like maybe that maybe that is the biggest like veil of all. Like I'm not. (laughs) I'm hiding in plain sight here. I'm not actually the health tech guy. I've never built a health tech company. Like that's literally it, right? (laughs) Like literally hiding in plain sight. That is so funny. That's so true. (laughs) Ah, what a realization that is. Yeah, that that's that that is it. That is the the biggest misnomer of the whole thing. I've never actually built a health tech business. I have a health tech <laughs> services company that I health I I service health tech companies, but yeah, it's more difficult being the health tech I service think- guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say like potato potato. Ah, uh, right, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. I would say you have. I would say exactly. <laughs> what's your like what's the what's I know that you're you seem like you found a happy place you've learned lots of lessons from your own business you have established your own business and lots of other people but it do you have a vision it's not a prize it's not like the prize but you know what's the vision what would you like to help others to achieve I, I think about this a lot actually and I have done very recently because of the fact of starting Somex and you know it's an organic growth business profitable from day one you get clients and you just don't spend as much as you earn and you just see how far that goes and you know I've been doing these kind of thought exercises you know the the exciting what ifs you know what if it goes to this what 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 if it goes to that and you and it's nice to do that because it gives you I suppose it gives you a north star it gives you actually what am I aiming for here a, a few different levels at uh, one point I'm just aiming to be financially secure like a bread on the table then then it's financial secure in a different way then it's real impact and then it's something else. like it's nice to think about it in those terms and I, I think it hasn't really changed for me since I very first started on this and it's addressing that frustration that I always had 
as a ground floor clinician that things weren't as easy as I thought they should be. And I think now it's a couple of stages removed, but at the moment, Somex is helping those technology companies that we believe in, and we've turned away business from business from businesses we don't believe in, and, and that is a selection process on our behalf because I want to go to work every day thinking I'm doing a good thing and doing the right things for the right companies. So, we do due diligence in their medical device regs and all the rest of it, and and compliant. Like we we make sure that we're helping the right types of companies. But the vision for me is contributing to a healthcare system that is easier and better for everybody involved and again it sounds a bit cliche but when i think about the the very real frustrations that i had that contributed to me leaving medicine failure of my anesthetic exams definitely contributed way more but (laughs) (laughs) but um i only failed them once i just didn't bother trying again but the point is it was it was very difficult for me to practice at the top of my license not that my license got beyond kind of sha register level but it was very difficult for me to do that because I was spread so thinly across lots of things to do. And there were systems and processes that took, in my opinion, way longer than I thought they should. It's the same vision that I had back then as a ground floor clinician. It's just, I'm in a different spot at the moment, helping in a slightly different way. But I think with everything that I'm doing, I suppose the podcast I hope contributes because it's, it's democratizing information the newsletter, Health Tech Pigeon, I'm hoping that's doing a similar thing. I'm hoping that's gauging interest and getting people involved that they might then go a bit deeper and and that kind of thing. I'm hoping that Somex is going to continue to just help the companies that we believe in, that we believe that are doing the best for the space. And I'm hoping that at some point, you know, all of that really starts to come together to do that next level of like, wow, this is like real impact now. And who knows? Those things all might have happened, by the way. And, and you know, I get um, like awesome LinkedIn messages from like people that listen to the podcast and had an idea and then raised a bit of money. And then like it's and it, I, I, can't, I can't help with these clichés, but like it just feels really good to me, that stuff. And I talk about this on my podcast a lot about motivation. And I think most people in health tech are motivated by something beyond the fine like the financial component because at the end of the day we could all drop ship or go on amazon fba or like do one of those side or things to like put we could all yeah. do that but i think for us that have had this grounding in healthcare and the morality that comes along with that i think we all want to we want to make our living doing something that means a bit more than that and i think when it comes to getting those linkedin messages of people that have just listened to the podcast or read the newsletter and done something cool that fuels me in a different way it it, it gives me it energizes me. It gives me energy. It gives me fuel. Like it's something, something along those lines, but it's different. It's a different feeling to doing a deal and getting a client, which by the way, also feels really good because then you're like, then I can hire this person and then I can iterate my life a little bit so that this becomes easier. That allows me to then do that. Like there's, there's different ways that that's important and different ways that that feels good, but uh, I do not want to downplay just like the positive vibes and like what, the positive vibes that allows me to put back in if you know what I mean yeah definitely definitely so who's your ideal client do you only work sounds like you work with really big big companies or companies aspiring to be really big aspiring yeah I mean we we will we'll look at anybody between I think between seed and series b is our sweet spot for Somex. it's companies that would like to do something in communications they might have a communications function already they might have a marketing function already they might not if they do we might be able to turbocharge that we might be able to white label a podcast for you do all the associated copy and social media we might be able to put an entire content and media plan in place you might not have a pr agency you might never have had one you might want some pr you might have had one that perhaps didn't understand health tech that perhaps took a bit too long to get up to speed on that. You might have had to check everything that they did. That's one thing you you don't have to do with us in the sense that we can actually tell you how we think you should be communicated and stuff like that. Um, we do that whole kind of strategy and messaging exercise to begin with so that you learn the vision of the company, the mission of the company, the, the key messages of the company, the proof points. We do that whole kind of initial branding and strategy and, and and things and and everything in between right so we we have that entire offering which we often do for the companies closer to, to seed and series a but then we can isolate those and say we'll just do content for 
for you and we'll we'll do a podcast and a blog article every week and all the social media posts um and we'll do, and we'll do that other times we'll say okay we'll just do pr you've already got a content person we can link with them and do the rest of it but that agility i suppose and the ability to work around what people need is something that is our strength i think that kind of ability for us to innovate around what is going on and where can we add value that's the most important thing because at the end of the day you know as as i said at the start i think you know when we when i started this with with jess my co-founder like we clients came and went as we figured out the best thing to do and going back to something earlier you know failure is part of it you, you know you, you have you have to yeah. you have to speculate to accumulate you have to try it you have to be very honest with you and them about what you think you can deliver sometimes it doesn't quite work out but now we've been through that we've got what we believe is a is a very compelling offer to the health tech startups and we're going to be going fully live with it to full market in march we've actually you know spent a year behind the scenes doing this like 12 months we've been uh, working in the background to figure this proposition out with just people that i've known in the space and sort of invite only type vibe of like creating that mystery that you uh, you mentioned at the start so all being well you will have your big launch in march are you ready do you hire before you're ready interesting so this is something that I've learned, I suppose, growing an agency, which is that there's always flex, I suppose, at the edges, which means that you'll have a client base that you can service, but you might get an extra client that week. You might get a client leave that week or your contract's up with them that week, or there's always this element of, there's the sort of the border of uncertainty at the edge. And I suppose that has been where we've employed kind of like a freelance model. So freelance work will be done to a point where we can go up and down on capacity at short notice, but there's a core that is hires. And so the other thing I would say on that actually is that we are going to have a pretty strict, particularly at the start, one new client a month policy. Because although the retainer is the same each month, the amount of time that we like to spend in that first six weeks is very disproportionately high. And to do that with more than one client a month wouldn't be doing them or us any justice because at the end of the day, we want to protect the quality of what we're delivering to make sure that it is as valuable as we say it is. So part of it will be that once a month cadence of growth, if indeed it we need to or want to grow that big or indeed that's that's the need right but then also as you've quite rightly pointed out that allows us that time for hiring essentially to make sure that we get to that point and we backfill with the hires are you selling you or are you selling a service it's a good point it's a good question and i'll be honest until now it certainly has been me the value though really is in the service and people learn that very quickly um yes so what if clients say or potential clients say that, that you know they've listened to the podcast they want they want to work with you and then you're there for six weeks in the onboarding building the strategy and then you say oh okay and now tara's going to take over now and they go oh that is the that is exactly what 99% of agencies will do. And it's so funny. So I was talking to, I was talking to one of our clients the other day and they were saying that literally, like literally that's just their experience. Right. And that like after, after six months, they suddenly found themselves in, in like a zoom meeting with an intern that knew absolutely nothing about the space. And they were like, how on earth did we get here? Like, this is outrageous. Like <laughs> I've just kind of blinked and all the values disappeared in front of my eyes. There, there obviously is a, a point at which there are only 24 hours in a day and my time can't be spread across everybody. I suppose what I would say is I'm very fortunate that I love this stuff. I'm very fortunate that I love those strategy meetings with clients. I'm very fortunate that I'm optimizing for a work setup where that is where I spend my time. So what I would say is it's not going to be me editing your podcast. It's not going to be me necessarily writing those social media posts and blogs and all the rest of it that is the team doing that but the point is that is a team that is skilled in health tech but the strategy and where we go and how we do it 
is very much set with a very heavy hand from me and always will be. And it sounds, it's just going to sound like a silly question. How important is PR? Yeah, and I suppose a controversial answer here. It depends how you define it. Decreasingly so, almost, I would say. Because the real values in content, and I know this sounds very Gary Vaynerchuk, but at the end of the day, we have the metrics, right? We see the metrics, we see the back end. For clients, we look at a mixture of LinkedIn analytics, Twitter analytics, Google analytics, and we have the readerships of the uh, publications we get people to from a PR perspective as well. Like we, yeah. we, all of this at the end of the day, if you look at what drives traffic to website and drives leads, it isn't necessarily getting an article in health tech news. It, it, it isn't, it is, that isn't what what's doing it. It's a compound effect of all the content that they are producing, building up over time to increase the awareness and then the advocacy. And that is what builds over time through content. We are, so, as, a, as a society, as a country, as a world, we're, we're so decreasingly waking up every morning and opening up the newspapers to get our news and our, and our information and our content. It's just not where we absorb that. I think there is an element of credibility that is associated with other people finding you, other, other people writing about you, other people advocating for you. And it comes back to that advocacy bit. I think that is important for, and therefore, ergo PR is never going to go away. It is some, it is a more than a box to tick. It, it can provide value when done in the right way at the right cadence. And so if you are getting a press release out every six weeks, you can build relationships with journalists on that basis. And it's a consistent flow of information via those channels, then it works similarly to content because it's a consistent flow of information that's, that's getting to those types of people that read that stuff. Similarly, it works for SEO and being Googleable and all the rest of it, that kind of thing. Again, it is super useful for all of those things, particularly if you're thinking about going for an investment round and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, if I had to pick one, it would be content for people because if you can build a following and you do so by adding value, educating them, and then telling them your key messages and what you do. But if you're doing those things, then you are going to build a very loyal audience that is receiving so much value from your content that they can't help but want to know what you do and how you do it and support you. So that's the premise that we're going on with our clients. They, You have to buy into the power of that and the fact that it isn't an overnight win, although, you know, again, very Gary Vaynerchuk, but one, you know, one piece of content to change your life, it can happen that quickly. Um, but there is going to be this element of slow burn of building that audience. And then eventually over time you get network effect and essentially compound interest, I suppose. How do you guard your time? So you must get, I bet you get so many, you say you don't get much feedback, but I bet you get lots of people wanting to talk to you for a variety of reasons, which may not be obvious, you know, like, oh, it'd be great to have a chat. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, those LinkedIn messages. What I would say is that, Yes, I do. And while, you know, some of, some, of the, some of the more direct ones, you can end up rolling your eyes and be like, oh man, like really? But at the end of the day, I'm by no means big enough that I don't see each one of those as like a bit of a privilege. Like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm grounded enough to, to realize that I am not like big time. And so people that want my time, great, like yeah. good, because I was in that position once. And what I now do, to be perfectly honest, the way that I deal with this is Fridays between 10 and 12, there is a Calendly link that is somewhere in the ether that you can book it. And I call that community calls. And how long are those calls? 30 minutes. Okay. And people can book them as, as much in advance as they want within reason, but at the end of the day, that is, that is when I do those calls and yes, others creep in and, and I'll do the odd ones in evenings and, and stuff like that occasionally. But at the end of, at the end of the day, I've just, I've just designated two hours a week simply for that. And I tell you what, it is that, that isn't some sort of philanthropic thing that I'm just deciding to give back and, and stuff like that. I mean, it is that in a way, but like 
but also I get opportunities through that. So people, you never know. You never, I, you well, never way, know who people are and what they you know want what? and how they can help you. Do you know what? The way I see it, when someone, when someone messages me and they say, I listen to your podcast and thank you for da, 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 like, I'm always going to respond to that and thank them back for listening to the podcast. Yeah. Also, if I have a community call with somebody that perhaps hasn't ever listened to the podcast or subscribes to the newsletter or doesn't really know what I do and like I end up having a nice chat with them or whatever, that's one more listener. That's one more yeah. reader. That's one person that might then share it with 10 people because they think this person just gave half an hour of their time. It's great. Like and now I found all this stuff and I've gone back and listened to a hundred episodes and, and now I've got this idea and now I'm going to thank, like there's, there's something for me about just, just put the positive vibes out there. Like if, if, whether you call that karma or whether you just call that common sense, like if you, if you, if you just put the good vibes out, it, you're going to be surrounded by a bit more good. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's how I choose to see the world and how I choose to see my Friday mornings of just like on the face of this email, I can't justify giving you a part of my time in the week because I can't see the immediate ROI. But here's a slot where I do these ones, which is like a shot to nothing, but actually I kind of enjoy it. And yeah. I'm actually looking forward to speaking to you because now this is the designated time. So never do I feel like my diary has been robbed or anything like that. But I, you know, just to round that off, it is important to say, no, you do have to look after yourself at some point. You, you know, you can't be doing those into evenings or whatever, but you know, if you look at my LinkedIn post, I'll all, you know, anyone comments on my LinkedIn post, you're getting a reply. Like, because if you've taken the time, you know, it's stuff like that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not big enough to just say like, Oh, I don't have time to reply to LinkedIn comments. It's like, James, you get 10 at a push a week. (laughs) It's interesting you say that. And I would say the comments is an interesting one and I don't always respond because I don't, I mean, I don't always know what to say. It sounds like I'm so flattered. I'm always a bit like, Oh, like, thanks (laughs) like I don't know I generally don't know what to say but I am generally thinking oh my god like thank you I'm not very good at you know like creating lots of conversations it's not because I think I'm really big it generally is like I need to be schooled on how to say something other than oh thank you really appreciate that I know because because by the time you've gone through thanks thank you (laughs) cheers awesome mate like a few emoji like the 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 thank you emoji yeah. of the hands together like, just, once yeah. you've gone through all that it's like yeah I don't, <laughs> how do I make this sound sincere um, I, I get it I get I get it but then one of those things I've I've given up on worrying about the way I'm perceived and if someone yeah, yeah, decides just, to think oh he's just copying and pasting these even though I'm clearly not but like if someone wants to think that fine yeah. I, I just for me at the moment I have I have the time I have the energy and I, I and my game is an ecosystem game anyway right like for, for me, in order to help my clients the best at Somex, I've got to know everybody in the space. I've got to understand everything that's going on. Yeah. And so you never know who is going to turn out to be super useful or, or just yeah. super great or like, uh, who knows, right? And I I don't want to miss those opportunities, essentially. And, and it makes me feel good to reply to them and say thank you anyway. So again, like win-win. Okay, final question. Most embarrassing moment at work? Oh, what a good question this is. You might have to edit out a long pause here. Um, <laughs> you know, I almost think I've probably blocked out of my mind <laughs> because there are probably many got be something. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's going to be a few that I can't say. You can say. We're all friends here. I, t- I don't think you can- <laughs> You've got to say. You've got to say. As it doesn't air, we just wasted our time. Oh dear, do I say this one? I've got to try no, to just say it. <laughs> Go on. What can I say about this embarrassing moment? I think people have revealed that they get naked. One was like, every time I have a drink, I just take my clothes off. Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, I've, I've fortunately never done that. Fortunately, <laughs> never done that. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and that was somebody. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I do know. I do know. So similar to the one I can't say actually, but not not quite as bad. But the uh I was an I was an F1 doctor and uh you know, first year doctor and uh I was at St. Helia. I was actually staying in the hospital accommodation. I think I was I was I was between flats, uh 
and renting and stuff. And anyway, I went went on a went on a night out. Just had a few too many beers. Ah, <laughs> uh, and anyway, I um, <laughs> I got a, I got a taxi on the home uh, to the to the hospital. And there are a few, a few other people obviously staying there and, and, and various things, but I, I, I'd had, I'd had so many beers that I, I staggered from the taxi to the sort of front door of the hospital and hospitals are 24 hour organizations. Like there's always somebody up, uh, at this point, I don't really realize that. And, uh, I get to the, uh, I get to sort of the, the main entrance of the hospital and I, I sort of just can't really remember like what where where's where's the accommodation I've, i don't even hear a night like i'm not sure how to get in like how did i get here earlier like i can't really remember anyway and then a few people a few a few doctors on the night shift were walking past and my trousers fell down <laughs> and it's one of those where you've had a few too many beers your trousers have fallen down and obviously then you try and pick them up and then that doesn't go so well because you lose your balance and you know and it's winter and it's cold and it's just mortifying, just mortifying, just mortifying. And it's, yeah, but obviously not, not, not so drunk. that I can't remember it, which is great, you know? <laughs> and you know how every now and again, like you can't sleep because like you just get this random, like, yeah, like a flash. Yeah. You get this memory of this like super embarrassing thing that happened and you're just like, oh my goodness. And then I saw yeah. those people the next day and then they commented on it and had a laugh and you're like, ah, great. Yeah. So there we go. Most embarrassing moment at work. I had a similar experience at the HSJ Awards. But we really? <laughs> I mean, your trousers are falling down at an award ceremony on stage. That's that's really good. That's really good. But, uh, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on, Tara. Oh, it's been an my absolute pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. People want this. to connect with you on LinkedIn. Where should, um, what's your handle? Yep. So James Somaru, S-O-M-A-U-R-O-O. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can message me on LinkedIn. The podcast is called The Health Tech Podcast. You can find that on all relevant platforms. The The newsletter is called Health Tech Pigeon. So healthtechpigeon.com. And you can subscribe to that. That is just the one minute roundup of everything in health tech for the week. And that comes into your inboxes on Sunday. That is about it for me. Feel free to get in touch and email me. Happy to chat. Thank you so much. No problems. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram at thc primary care and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.